Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Obesity is a pandemic within a pandemic. The health crisis has accelerated among adults and children in the last couple of years. The CDC says one in six children are obese. The disease is complex, but today we talk about the role of stress on children and their weight gain. Healthcare providers say obesity can cause a person to be more severely impacted by COVID. What's being done to help children and their families? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. My first guest researches childhood obesity, especially in the Latino community, and her research includes looking at the stigma surrounding this chronic condition. Dr. Julia Sneathan is professor and director of the Ph.D. program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee College of Nursing. Julia, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. And you also had a recent study uh, published uh, by the National Institutes of Health uh, when pandemics collide, the impact of COVID-19 on childhood obesity. Uh, we know, uh, Julia, that uh, during the pandemic, adult obesity has uh, risen. I think the median weight gain reported by adults during the pandemic was about 15 pounds. And so how mm -hmm. can you talk more about what we're seeing in children during the last couple of years? Well, I think that you're going to see, we've seen in children, similar to adults, that they have had increased weights. Um, some studies that even um, commented on the fact that um, the excess weight that the children are experiencing has even doubled compared to their normal weight gain <clears throat> during pre-pandemic timeframes. But I think you also have to consider um, some of the contributing factors to that weight gain. For example, the children, many of them were either moved to online learning or hybrid learning, and they had increased screen time, increased sedentary behaviors. At the same time, they're within their home environment where you have food right there, at, you know, readily available. And I think we found a lot of families reported that it was really easy to start getting food items that were quick and easy, which tend to be higher in fat and sugars and salts versus more nutritious food items during this time frame. When we talk about children who are considered obese, were they struggling with weight even before the pandemic? And now because of all the stressors you just mentioned, it has been exacerbated? So I do think that the children who had excess weight prior to the pandemic were more affected I think overall they've found that kids two to 19 years of age have had weight gain, except for children like you know, who are underweight to begin with, have had weight gain across the board. But more significantly, there's been weight gain for individuals and children with excess weight during the pandemic, um, a significant increase in weight gain. And I think one of the things that we don't talk about with weight gain enough is stress. 
And I do think that the stress that the children are under, you know, they don't have the social interactions they had before. They were having um, less physical activity and especially children who had didn't have access to a lot of physical activity to begin with. And it was even exacerbated. So if you think about the, the stress that everybody was under, we have to go back to the fact that your body has specialized cells for the storage of fat, which are called adipocytes, which really play an important role in maintaining energy balance. So when there's an ex excess amount of nutrients in the fat cell, then you have a cellular step stress response that started. And so when you have sustained stress, it can actually increase cortisol production, which causes chronic inflammation in the body. And when you have chronic inflammation for a sustained period of time, it can actually potentially damage your energy regulation system. You know, the system that kind of helps us maintain a healthy weight. And when the, you're, you've got an energy regulation system that's not working well, that can actually be very dysfunctional um, as far as your weight balance. Um, I do think that when you have unchecked chronic stress, um, which causes chronic inflammation, um, you're also going to see children starting to have health problems such as obesity and increased obesity. Um, the children with the more severe obesity were even more strongly um, potentially impacted because of the increased stress. It's interesting you had said that we don't talk about stress enough. Among adults, I feel like there's that conversation about, you know, maybe the ways we may cope if we're under a lot of stress. Some of us uh, may uh, tend to maybe not eat as healthy or, you know, there's that term at times where we may binge eat. Uh, so when we think about children, the idea that stress also uh, has an impact on them, uh, Julia, is it surprising that it's not talked about more? You know, that's really interesting because I am kind of surprised it's not talked about more because Similar to adults, children do what they see their parents doing, what they see their significant caregivers doing. And so if they're seeing them eat large amounts, they tend to eat what the family's eating. Um, and again, I don't know that children have the ability developmentally to always make good judgment calls as far as what they're going to eat. Right. Um, so they're not always going to probably go grab a carrot versus if there's something, a bag of chips or something that's easy to, and readily available. Today we're talking about childhood obesity. You can join us if you have a question or comment or is there a conversation that you're having within your family about uh, health and weight, especially in the pandemic. Uh, our phone number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest, Dr. Julia Sneathan, professor and director of the PhD program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee College of Nursing. It was an interesting uh, study when pandemics collide, the impact of COVID-19 on childhood obesity that, that you and the co-authors collaborated on. Is it surprising that maybe people aren't thinking about obesity as a pandemic and just the, the, the concern that researchers and, and healthcare providers are experiencing when they see uh, these rates increasing, Julia? I guess I, I am surprised because I don't think people realize it's almost like it's become normative in many ways. I know that we did one of our studies and we had children, everybody in the study had excess weight and categorically was considered overweight or obese. 
And 100% of the children told me, it's really nice because I just look like everybody else. And I do think as we increasing, we see increasing rates of children with excess weight, we, we tend to, in some ways, um, we kind of are wondering if we don't just kind of normalize it in some way and don't see it as um, significantly different at times. Um, so I, I guess as my colleagues and I were talking, we kind of do wonder if that's one of the reasons people aren't more alarmed or more concerned, um, even though certainly within the healthcare community, um, there has been significant concern about this. And earlier when we talked about uh, what um, researchers and doctors have been seeing when it comes to weight gain, I think you'd said that in some cases there's been a, a doubling of weight. So when we think about pounds that children um, you know, are gaining in the pandemic or have gained, uh, what do we know? Well, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know that we specifically don't know every child, you know, across the country, but I know um, in one of the CDC studies, they talked about that children six to 11 years of age were seeing body mass index changes of 2.5 times higher than the pre-pandemic rate. So depending on the weight of the child at that time, that's a really significant increase um, if their weight gain has gone up so high. Mm. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Julia, you mentioned um, sometimes food choices and, you know, children don't have, um, you know, aren't thinking about like, you know, technically um, what is healthy versus maybe an adult. So they might model what they see uh, in their family, especially if some of us <laughs> may stress eat or certain foods that we, we like oh. to uh, enjoy. Uh, but I'm wondering when we think about social determinants, some other factors that are there are part of this rise in obesity among children? So, you know, if you, when you think about social determinants of health, which is, I think, what you're referring to, mm -hmm. is some of the, the things that are happening with children today, I think we have to be aware of. I mean, depending on the neighborhood you're in or, you know, the built environment you have may have no green, green space or limited green space or it may not be within easy access. And we remember children you know, playing, jumping, running, you know, being socially interactive with other children, that's really important for their health. It's a stress reliever. And of course, we want to relieve the stress so we can decrease the inflammation in the body. And it really does help with weight maintenance. Um, you also have children with economic instability. And if you don't have economic stability, that can also be a stress factor, which again, can turns around and can influence the, the chronic inflammation that can lead to childhood obesity as well. So there's other, you know, do they have access to health and having healthcare providers who, who can help monitor their um, dietary behaviors or physical activity, encourage increased fruit and vegetable intake, encourage increased physical activity, um, family involvement in ensuring the health of the, all the family members, not the child. Those are some of the things, you know, related to social determinants of health that we really don't consider often enough. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677. Curious about the conversations you're having as a family about health and weight. Uh, Marissa in Guilford is joining us. Marissa, what did you want to share? Marissa, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Go, go um, ahead. 
I just wanted to share my experience with unhealthy food and my kids during the pandemic, which has been that I've really been overcompensating um, for all that I feel that my kids have been deprived of over the pandemic. So I make up for it by getting them treats because we can't necessarily go out to a movie or have a fun experience, but we can you know, go through the drive-through and get a donut, um, and and it's not something I would normally have done pre-pandemic. But um, but I'm trying to both literally and figuratively sweeten things up for them. I've done that too, Marissa. Julia, how did you want to respond to our caller? I think what you're what you're sharing is really really common, and I I really do. Everybody I know is saying very similar um, statements because it, there's so much out of our control that we cannot do for our children at this moment. But this, you know, feeding them and giving them something they like that makes them happy, are you know, really I guess it's our way of kind of showing love or care for our children at that point in time, because we don't have the normal ways that we would do that. I also think one of the issues we don't talk about so much is when the pandemic started, I mean, a lot of us thought, oh, it'll be a week, it'll be two weeks, and then it became months, and then it became, you know, extended periods of time. So I think we started doing that because we thought it was short term, and we didn't realize how long term it would be. And all of a sudden, it kind of in some ways became a pattern of behavior that many families embraced at that point in time. And in some ways, it's still continuing with many families. Uh, Julia, you talked about uh, stress earlier and the impact on our body on, on a cellular level. And I'm just wondering if we can maybe also uh, hone in on the fact that, you know, stress uh, can also make it harder to lose the weight and also helping us, you know, or making us gain weight at the same time. Right. Well, and I do think we really have to start thinking about what are some ways we can decrease stress? Because if we really want to uh, lose the weight, stress is one area in which we can try and make an impact with children. Can we increase their physical activity? Can we find, you know, things that the family can do together, even if it's a walk, socially distanced? Um, if we can find ways that they can be engaged in um, projects together or um, other activities that keep them busy so they're not thinking about food all the time or they're not, you know, having so much access all the time. I also think that um, de decreasing stress can, you know, if there's special moments parents can have with their children. Um, I know it's not always easy to go out, but maybe even, you know, reading or spending some time together in playing a game, um, going outside and throwing up, you know, playing catch or something, uh, depending on the weather, of course. Um, those are, Looking for ways to decrease stress, to allow children to decrease their stress is one way to help as far as their weight control as well. You're hearing Dr. Julia Sneathan, professor and uh, director of the PhD program. PhD program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee College of Nursing as we talk about childhood obesity. Uh, researchers and health experts saying children and teens seeing a significant weight gain during the pandemic. We're going to keep talking about this after the break, and you can join us as well, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. 
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. School closures, disrupted routines, and increased stress have impacted children in multiple ways during the pandemic. Public health researchers say less opportunity for physical activity and proper nutrition are likely factors for increased weight gain in children, with obesity levels rising among children and teens to 22% during the pandemic. We're talking about childhood obesity with my guest today. On Zoom with us, Dr. Julia Sneathan, professor and director of the PhD program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee College of Nursing. And joining us now is Dr. Melissa Santos, Division Chief of Pediatric Psychology and Clinical Director for Pediatric Obesity at Connecticut Children's. Melissa, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking about obesity and how stress is a factor, but really how do you differentiate obesity in children with just, you know, when children are growing and their bodies are changing? How do you have that conversation? Yeah, so it's a great question. So we oftentimes look at how kids are growing over time, looking at how their height is is going over time, looking at how their weight is going over time, and seeing how much they're they're staying in line with each other. If one's going up a lot higher than the other, it's hard because it is in kids they are growing, they have growth spurts, but oftentimes we can see with kids periods of time where their weight is really escalating a lot more than their height is, which indicates that perhaps it's more than just a growth spurt that's what's going on. So are you referencing the BMI? Because I know as adults, when we have to go to the doctor, the the, the dreaded BMI <laughs> that we find yes. out. Yeah. yeah, the growth chart, the BMIs. Um, we tend to use percentiles and Z-scores with kids to kind of reflect that growth over time. Um, it's hard to talk about weight loss in terms of pounds and things like that with kids because they are growing. So yeah, we do use our BMI Z-scores and um, percents over the 95th percentile. We have specific growth charts that we actually use for kids um, to help track them over time because we have found that our traditional growth charts that we use for um, kids in the doctor's offices don't always account for kids that have excess weight. Mm. Uh, Jack shared with us on Twitter uh, that, um, you know, the ways BMI is an outdated, somewhat arbitrary measurement of health, and some of the issues have roots in structural poverty rather than individual choice. So how do you respond to that, uh, Melissa? I would agree with um, them. I think the BMI is what we've used because it's a measure that we have felt has worked over time, but I think it's definitely not a measure of health. We know that you can have a low BMI and have poor health, and we know that you can have a high BMI and have no medical comorbidities. Um, So we do know that it is more than just BMI that goes into the picture of whether or not someone is their healthiest. 
Um, and I think oftentimes BMI is used as sort of the scapegoat or what we point to when there's so many layers into what makes up somebody's health. When we talk about health and, and the conversations that uh, you, you may have uh, with uh, children and their families when they're being treated uh, because of um, their weight, uh, when we think about the long-term impacts on their health, uh, Melissa, can you talk about that? Sure. So we, you know, we don't talk about weight loss with our kids that we see in our program. We really focus on overall health for the family. And we really try to make this a fun process of how we can just make sure that families are eating to the best of their abilities, the healthiest foods possible that are going to sustain their bodies and give them the best nutrients, what they can do as a family to be active together, and really to kind of make it fun along the way. You know, in in a pre-pandemic world, it was fun to go to the grocery store and try to find new fruits and vegetables to try, um, and then to go out and explore new places to be active. And so we really focus on the whole family coming together to be healthy. And we know that if the whole family can come together um, and really focus on their health, then that's where families are most successful. When you're talking uh, with uh, with kids and teens, do you see emotional eating, um, especially in the pandemic, when we talk about all the, the stress that everyone's under? Yeah, so we've seen emotional eating in our kids even prior to the pandemic. I will say it picked up a little bit uh, with the pandemic. Um, and I'll agree with um, Julia that sometimes I think it is a little bit about um, what uh, kids see in their families. I mean, think about for for any of you, is food not a part of most of your family or cultural celebrations? I don't know anybody who's gone to a birthday party where food isn't there or, um, you know, celebrated things where food's not there or come together as a family over a challenging time and food's not there. And so I think we learn that food is really comfort. It's there to be a support in many ways. And I think we, we've seen an uptick in that in the pandemic. When you talk about the uptick, uh, because you're based in Connecticut at Connecticut Children's, uh, you know, where do you see this issue um, you know, rising? And are there particular um, rates that are concerning to you or particular areas of our state that um, are concerning? Yeah, so we're, you know, we're located here in the city of Hartford, and that tends to be where we get a large number of our referrals from is here in the city of Hartford, but we do have families from all parts of the state that do come to our program. Um, You know, obesity was a, was a, I would say was a pandemic even prior to the COVID pandemic kind of occurring, but we know that, you know, currently right now we're seeing obesity pandemic occurring in the context of the COVID pandemic, but we're also seeing it at the same time as the racism pandemic, and we have to acknowledge that obesity tends to affect Um, our minority populations at a higher rate, and that is a population that's been disproportionately impacted by COVID as well. And so when we think about the things that occurred at the start of the pandemic with the lockdowns, with having to stay at home, with how hard it was to find foods in the grocery store, it is concerning how some populations have really seen a dramatic rate because they didn't have a place to go. They didn't have backyards. If you live in multifamily housing, you don't oftentimes have that green space to get outside and, and play. And as we know here in the city of Hartford, finding a grocery store is not always the easiest uh, thing to do and getting access to being able to get fresh fruits and vegetables and healthy options isn't always um, readily available. 
You're hearing Dr. Melissa Santos here on Where We Live, Division Chief of Pediatric Psychology and Clinical Director for Pediatric Obesity at Connecticut Children's. As we talk about childhood obesity, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, we talk about these multiple crises uh, in the last couple of years, uh, you know, since this pandemic started. Uh, Melissa, thinking about uh, children's emotional health, uh, uh, the mental health crisis uh, that uh, children and teens are experiencing. And so when we think about ways they're treated uh, for those uh, conditions and, and how that might impact their metabolism and weight, is that also a factor? Yeah, so it's interesting. So we have seen a, a significant number of kids that have come into our program that you know have a history of mental health difficulties for which they were placed on certain perhaps medications to, to help with um, their mood or their behavior. And it seems like for some of them, those medications, while they were really helpful to help their mood and their behavior, came at the expense of extra weight kind of coming on the child. And we've seen, unfortunately, in a subset of kids that even once they're off those medications, losing weight is really hard. And they're experiencing a lot of medical comorbidities as a result of that, which we are concerned about. And it almost seems like um, some of those medications just impacted their body and it's having a hard time letting go of that impact on their body. When the, you're seeing uh, patients and their families and having these conversations, you know, something you'd mentioned earlier about you don't talk about weight loss or weight gain with children necessarily. And we think about how our, our society, you know, there is fat phobia. You don't want to make people feel guilty or, or blame them necessarily, especially children. And so I'm wondering if you can talk more about the conversations that you have uh, with, uh, with patients and their families. Absolutely. So, I mean, we know that obesity is still a very stigmatizing condition. It raises a lot of, of connotations for people. When we talk about obesity, it's oftentimes viewed as a condition of lack of willpower, like it's somebody's fault that they have excess weight. And we really take caution in talking to our kids that we are talking about health. Uh, we are talking about ensuring that their bodies are moving as they're supposed to, so that their overall body health can be the strongest. We talk about that in terms of making sure that we're getting all of our vitamins and nutrients in. Um, we don't place a lot of emphasis on weight because we know that a lot of things go into deciding what the weight of a person is. It is not just um, food and intake. There's so many different things that go into it. And we tend to hold the belief that if we can get you to move your body to a good amount each day, and we have you eating a good variety of food that's going to get you the vitamins and nutrients that you need, your body will fall into the, the weight and shape that it's supposed to be, and everybody's weight and shape is going to be different. During the pandemic, we've heard how it can be difficult to you know, schedule uh, routine um, preventative uh, visits. Uh, and I'm thinking about when you're uh, working with families, you know, to, to have uh, that back and forth, to have the regular checkups. Has that been an issue at all, Melissa? We have um, we've had some struggles, I think, because we've had a large number of families um, trying to access our program. So that was uh, one limitation. I will say we've had good success with um, telehealth being really helpful. I think for a lot of our families, as we're working um, with them, the virtual visits and telehealth has been really nice um, because they're able to show us like where they live and, and the spaces they have. Oftentimes kids want to show us like how they're working out in their rooms and things like that. Um, so I think that there has definitely been a challenge with sometimes getting the access, but I think telehealth and, and opening up those video visits to families that really opened up during the pandemic has been really nice, particularly in our line of work, and uh, to get to know our families a lot better in the, in the places they live. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, still with us uh, on Zoom, Dr. Julia Sneathan, who's a professor and director of the PhD program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee College of Nursing. Julia, at the top of the show, I mentioned that um, your research also mm -hmm. looks at stigma surrounding this chronic condition, um, and you've done research within the Latino community. And so I'm wondering if you wanted to respond to what we've heard so far from Dr. Melissa Santos here in Connecticut. Well, I will tell you, I agree with everything she said. Um, I do think that there is stigma and bias towards children or actually individuals with excess weight across the board. Certainly one of the challenges is um, that when children are stigmatized, um, it can actually lead to increased, in, further increasing their stress rates. And in some instances, really further isolating themselves from social interactions. So it can have in increasing problems as far as their um, obesity, because if they're stress eating because they're in isolation and they're, and they're stressed because of the fact that they've been teased at school or bullied. I think one of the concerns, um, Dr. Santos has talked about telehealth, but one of the concerns we are having with kids being online is the fact that there could also be cyberbullying going on because that can be very anonymous, which can also further increase the stress that our children are experiencing. I do think one of the biggest problems with um, uh, stigmatizing or bias against children is the fact that it doesn't just affect them emotionally, but also physically. And again, I keep going back to the word stress, but I think that's a significant element that we don't always consider in the obesity picture um, that really is problematic that needs to be addressed. Mm. Melissa, did you want to respond? Yeah, I agree. I, it's interesting, the cyberbullying um, uh, topic. During the pandemic, a lot of our kids actually started to enjoy school a little bit more because they didn't have to go in person and they sort of felt like a little bit more comfortable because they didn't have so much of the bullying, but a lot did also experiencing that cyber bullying. And then it was also hard too, because, you know, we're fortunate right now that we're on Zoom, but we're not actually having to look at ourselves a whole lot, but this whole time in, in you know, virtual learning and things like that, you know, a lot of kids have talked about you know, I keep like, I have to look at myself all day long. I have to stare at myself and, you know, then they're overly focused on their appearance and things like that. So it's been an interesting time as well as um, all this increased online presence has come around during the pandemic. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. Again, as we talk about childhood obesity, but also about the kinds of conversations that families should be having and with their providers and vice versa that are helpful uh, to children as we talk about weight. Uh, again, our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, uh, we heard from a listener on Twitter, Barbara writes, it's never too soon to introduce whole food plant-based eating to children and whole family and says there's so much information on this now unlike 15 years ago she goes on to write there are even school programs on this in many communities and I'm wondering if you could talk about that again when people think about a weight gain and looking at food choice and also accessibility I'll start with you Melissa yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the challenges that we see is that access to reliable food and healthy food um, is just not available to some families. You know, I've had some families that come in that live in the city that would have to take multiple buses to get to a grocery store where they would be able to um, purchase whole foods or healthy foods or get their fresh fruits and vegetables. And then oftentimes if you're on a fixed income or you get support to purchase your groceries, 
you know, sometimes you have to make choices and decisions. And particularly for a lot of our families that have lived in poverty or have lived with food insecurity, some families make the choice and you can't blame them to purchase more uh, versus purchasing less of healthier stuff. Um, because that idea of not having stock pantries or stock cabinets is just really hard for them. I don't know, Julia, what you think. Well, one of the things, I, I totally agree. I One of the concerns has been, too, because the during the pandemic, the price increases in fruits and vegetables, especially fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables, has gone up significantly, making it not financially affordable for many families, um, especially if you already were challenged with having nutritious food in the family just because of cost. But I also want to go back to the thought that um, as far as having more plant-based or um, looking at different, you know, healthier eating um, programs uh, within the school system, I know that there's been school systems who, you know, here in Wisconsin who have actually done farm to school programs where they actually uh, worked with farmers in the area and local um, growers of produce to um, bring in fresh fruits and vegetables directly into the school, um, seasonal items, and really tried to explore um, ways to increase the health of children. And they actually had tremendous success with that. I do think that it uh, tends to be extra effort and potentially extra costs, but it actually was one way to try and get, um, it really exposed children to that type of, um, of, a, of a meal structure. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Julia. We did a show uh, recently about uh, farm to school efforts here in Connecticut. And even uh, starting at the basic level of making sure that schools have particular infrastructure to be able to prepare and have uh, certain healthier foods, because as we know, uh, the way uh, the food systems are in schools, uh, not really making things on the premises, warming things up, but, and the idea that, you know, and I look at my children's uh, food menu at school, you know, not not necessarily the healthiest items, but um, mm -hmm. ease of, of making them, and, you know, <laughs> getting the food uh, through the line quickly. I wonder if you can talk about that, Melissa. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think a lot of schools um, don't have a lot of space for for uh, their cafeterias or where they they cook. And I think you're right. I think a lot of it is done. I mean, I think even about our our hospital, um, I think a lot of things are done of what you can get through the line quickly, what you can preheat um, and get kind of back through the line very quickly. Um, so I do think I think schools are doing tremendous things to try to increase the range of food that kids are exposed to. Um, but I think it's a it's a big shift that still needs to occur within the school systems. Uh, because uh, we um, were speaking about weight and especially about obesity among children, when we think about how the topic of weight um, is considered among uh, the adult population, and you know, this is the time of year where people are thinking about uh, going on a quote-unquote diet uh, to, to lose some of those pandemic pounds. I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Melissa Santos, if you could talk about that and, and why you, know, you avoid even that term diet in the conversation. Oh, I wish you could see me right now cringing at the at that word. Um, you know, we I mean, has anybody ever successfully dieted? You know, we talk about health in all this. We talk about, you know, there's always some changes that we all want to make to be healthier. Maybe we want to be more active. Maybe we want to, you know, increase our fruits and vegetables. But I always think about, you know, we're at that time of year with the New Year's resolutions. You know, we all, you know, on January 1st, create our New Year's resolutions that I'm going to eat healthy this year and I'm going to go to the gym. I live near a gym. The parking lot was packed the first week. 
And then generally by the second week, it's totally empty. Um, so I think the more that we can focus on making small sustainable changes that improve overall health, that's a better long-term solution for our kids and for our families than trying to do something that, you know, you can't sustain for a long period of time. And then you get discouraged um, and then you, you, you beat yourself up about it. And I think the more that we can focus on small sustainable changes, I think that's the right way to think about it. Julia, did you want to add to that? Because I was thinking about the ways that we talk about food, maybe the way a parent uh, would think about um, how to lose weight and, again, uh, changing that conversation because it can impact the child. Well, I, I totally agree with what was said. I do think that it's really important to focus on health and wellness as opposed to um, diet um, or weight. And I, I definitely agree. Having small gains or small um, um, interventions or things that you can do. For example, maybe we're not going to have sugar this week. Or gonna, we're going to try and have fruits instead of having um, sugar sweetened beverages. Or maybe we're going to have um, take a walk around the block, and then we're going to walk, you know, two blocks. I mean, but trying mm -hmm. to find ways to to have small wins so that you can continue to make progress. But I think. To, to make it a huge thing, especially for a child, when you, they think about it, I think it just overwhelms them. And sometimes being too overwhelmed can actually lead to them not doing anything at all. You're hearing Dr. Julia Sneathan here on Where We Live, a professor and director of the PhD program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee College of Nursing, and also Dr. Melissa Santos, Division Chief of Pediatric Psychology and Clinical Director for Pediatric Obesity at Connecticut Children's. We'll be back after a short break. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Today we're learning how stress impacts a child's weight. Rates of obesity among children have risen dramatically during the COVID-19 pandemic. What questions do you have about how to have sensitive conversations about health and weight in your family? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Dr. Melissa Santos is here, Chief of Pediatric Psychology and Clinical Director for Pediatric Obesity at Connecticut Children's. Uh, so, Melissa, you're a psychologist that specializes in the family treatment of pediatric obesity, and I understand you also work with adolescents and their families to prepare them for bariatric surgery. Can you talk about that, that how you approach bariatric surgery when we're talking about children? Sure. So we um, know that the rates of obesity have just gotten higher and higher, and the level of severity of obesity has gotten a lot higher and higher. And that for some of our kids, particularly as they really start to experience more medical conditions as a result of their excess weight, we have to talk about increasing our interventions, and that's where bariatric surgery comes in. Many of our families that have entered our program have family members or have parents themselves who have undergone surgery. And we really approach this as, you know, we have many options to uh, getting to overall health. 
And for some people, this may just be one option. Um, it's never something that it's the only option. And it's a long road for any of our families to get to the point of undergoing surgery. They have to do many months of nutritional counseling. Um, they work with our physical therapist. They work with psychology. They work with our medical providers to really prepare them for a complete change to their lifestyles and, and the eating changes that are needing needed and increasing their activity. Um, and so it's a it's a long road to surgery, but it's um, it's a needed treatment for kids that have what's labeled severe obesity or obesity that is so significant, it's really impacting their medical health and their overall quality of life. When you talk about impacting their, their health and overall quality, can you talk more about that? Because when I hear about bariatric surgery in children, mm -hmm. you know, that's really surprising to me. And, yeah. and, you know, any kind of surgery, right? But to think about this for children. And so what are you seeing? And, you know, how often are these surgeries happening among children um, um, compared to what you may have seen uh, earlier in your career? Sure. So we have definitely seen, you know, we've had our bariatric surgery program at Connecticut Children's up and running now for 12 years, and we um, are definitely doing far more surgeries now than we ever have before. Um, we know that, you know, excess weight, we meet a lot of kids that as a result of their excess weight, and they have worked really hard to do the things that we would expect people to do to try to make changes to their eating, to try to increase their activity but they are not able to. And as a result of that, they're experiencing a lot of chronic pain. They're having more and more problems with their walking. Um, they're starting to experience diabetes or um, having things like fatty liver, or other kinds of medical conditions that we know weight loss is the best treatment for. Um, we have a lot of kids that, you know, kids have big dreams for themselves and big goals. And sometimes they let their weight sort of feel like that has to hold them back. Um, and in particular, when we have treatments that work, that are successful, that are effective, we'd hate not to offer it to them. Um, but I think when we start to really see kids where their weight is really impacting their ability to move, their ability to successfully go to school because they can't walk in between classes or it's hard for them, they're getting out of breath that they can't participate in gym class. Those are the kinds of times that we really want to think about, should we offer more? And is bariatric surgery an option then for them? You mentioned it's been offered for about 12 years. And so what are the long-term outcomes for uh, a child who um, undergoes bariatric surgery? So we have seen with our kids that they will experience significant weight loss right after surgery. Um, and I think the thing that, that we love to see so much is that their medical status tends to improve the amount of medications they were on before surgery decreases afterwards. As you mentioned, I'm a psychologist. What I love to see is just that confidence that comes back to kids, that their dreams, they start to live those dreams and not feel like they're being held back by them. Um, you just see this complete uptick in their their just overall mood, they come in smiling, they're happy. Um, they're talking about things with excitement, things that we just never saw before. I think that, you know, sometimes weight and just holds kids back um, and just wears them down. And I think to see that excitement as they start to feel like I have control over my body, the things that I'm doing to be healthy are actually leading to results. You know, many of our kids have worked really hard to lose weight for a long time. They've tried to make those eating changes. They've tried to um, increase their physical activity, but it's hard to keep doing that when you don't see any benefits, when you don't see that you're losing weight, when you don't see your body changing or anything like that. And for kids to suddenly feel like, like, look at this, like I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do and my body's changing. It's just this lift in them that, that is just so nice to see. Mm -hmm. 
And that is good to hear. Uh, Julia Sneathan, did you want to respond uh, to uh, what Melissa has shared about, you know, bariatric surgery being uh, one option uh, to help children? Well, and I, I think some of the examples that she shared, I don't think people realize that the physical impact of the excess weight really, again, when you, I was asked about, well, why can't kids just go and run? Well, the concern is even to have them walk. And when children can't even walk because of their short of breath, they're having problems doing that, um, that's really a huge issue. And I do think um, in the literature, it certainly there's been some really promising um, and successful outcomes from the bariatric surgery. So I really think that um, it's really interesting, but also important that we're able to now offer that. I do think it'll be interesting to see in longitudinal studies. I know uh, Dr. Santos mentioned they've been doing it for 12 years, but I'm wondering, you know, down the road, we're still interesting to see what's going to happen 30, 40 years down the road for these children who got the bariatric surgery at, at younger ages. You know, earlier we talked about um, when cyberbullying and also, um, you know, the the role of, of school nutrition. But when we think about, you know, some of the conversations about weight and how schools can play uh, maybe a better or bigger role in this, uh, Julia, <laughs> looking back when when, when uh, we were kids, you know, thinking about the weigh-ins that you had to do and, you know, feeling shameful if, you know, you, maybe your body was different than your peer and peers. And so I'm just wondering if you can talk more about this, a school's role in this conversation. Well, one of the things that, I, you know, school is where the children are at most of the time during the day. I mean, so it's a large part of their life is spent in school. And that environment is incredibly important as far as um, their weight and health. But one of the things that I, I really am concerned about is if we had more school nurses, I think you'd see the ability for um, the children who might normally not be engaged with healthcare providers to have um, healthcare providers on site who can provide some of those health and wellness um, for some of the health and wellness needs of the children. Certainly, um, some of the, the nurses here in the state of Wisconsin have made great efforts to try and increase fruit and vegetable um, intake in the school system. They've done educational programming with parents and um, family units, certainly with children, and having the ability to provide more healthcare resources on site in the school, because again, that's where you've got kind of a captive audience, uh, would be really, really helpful. I think one of the problems is, you know, the schools are stretched very thin and you know, there's not enough school nurses to go around in most states. Um, there just isn't enough of them. But I think that the school and the school setting uh, would really have, be a great location to continue to um, improve the health and wellness of children. That's a that's a good takeaway as we get close to the end of the show. Uh, Dr. Melissa Santos, when we think about school nurses in our state, uh, definitely uh, overburdened with dealing with this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you know, following up uh, related to testing and, um, you know, certain contact tracing that's still going on. And so thinking about uh, their role in schools, you know, even beyond this uh, pandemic and the importance of having more of them. Uh, what's your take? 
Yeah, I agree. And I and I completely agree. I think if, if schools, you know, we're going to do the BMI screenings or we're going to do that, it looks, it seems like a report card versus something that is being done to be helpful for people. And we really need to increase the amount of services that we can offer within the school, be it with more school nurses. They are asked to do a tremendous amount already, so we would need to increase that. But increasing overall just how we create the school districts and school systems to be um, overall healthier places in general, that being environments that allow for activity or increasing activity throughout the day, being environments where there is exposure to healthy fruits and vegetables and, you know, rethinking cafeterias and, and seating arrangements. And, um, you know, I, some of our kids have lunch at 10 o'clock in the morning, I think just because of the logistics of school. So I think rethinking the whole school environment, I think is, is something really fun to think about. Um, but I think for schools to be effective, they're such a great place and they're such a great setting because our kids are there so long, but there would need to be some tweaks to make it the most effective. Uh, David shared with us on Facebook that he mentored a middle school to high school child in the school system and was amazed at how much food he threw away when he would go to sit with him at lunch. All of the fruit and vegetables, he was amazed he even sat and ate his lunch. Mostly he threw it away. So that speaks to, you know, access not only to food, but, you know, education about, um, you know, what's healthy and exposure early on may help children when we think about uh, what to eat on their plate. I think there's so many things that go into um, how kids eat and the decision making around kids eating. Um, I'll just share that, you know, many of our, our kids that we see in our program can finish a meal in less than like seven minutes because, you know, they only get that much time to actually eat when they're at school. And so they're so used to having to like wolf down their food and, and rapidly. And I think there's just a lot of changes that we can look for in broader issues to impact children's eating. I want to thank you for your time today, Dr. Melissa Santos, Division Chief of Pediatric Psychology and Clinical Director for Pediatric Obesity at Connecticut Children's. Melissa, it's been a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you. Also with us is Dr. Julia Sneathan, Professor and Director of the PhD program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee College of Nursing. She's a co-author of an NIH study, When Pandemics Collide, the Impact of COVID-19 on Childhood Obesity. We'll share that link with our listeners. Julia, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. We'll be back tomorrow.